Amen. Praise the Lord. Appreciate the wonderful uh, special music. Thank you, Sister Naomi and Pastor Abel for uh, just being available, of using your talents for the glory of God. Our uh, hearts have been blessed. Our soul has been stirred by uh, the message of that song, Come Unto Christ. Aren't you glad that Jesus Christ still has that open invitation, isn't it? Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart and ye shall find rest upon your soul. Now Christ is still inviting people for salvation, for sanctification, for service. And we know his second coming is soon, amen? Uh, in the first phase with the rapture, and uh, he will fulfill, fulfill all uh, the prophecies concerning him as the coming King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And thank God we are on that right side of, of history, amen? That we believe in him and we know him in a personal way. And thank you for being here this afternoon, and uh, thank you for, uh, once again, by, only by the grace of God, prioritizing the Lord's Day today. You know, um, we know that this is never a waste of time. It's always a gain. Amen? We're uh, continuing to be blessed by God and uh, spending time with the Lord in His house with uh, fellow brethren in Christ. is such, uh, supposed to be not just a duty, but supposed to be a joy. Isn't it? And a privilege. Because we will not be able to, this, to do this forever. Amen? There will come a time we'll be zapped into God's kingdom. Amen? And time will be no more. And no more time to uh, serve the Lord and do service for Him. And, uh, but we will spend uh, eternally with Him, with uh, joy and uh, just perfect you know, um, contentment. But uh, this time we have uh, a privilege and an opportunity to spend time with one another and the Word of God. So our spiritual uh, cups, I hope it's not too filled all the way to the brim, but I hope you have space for another set, another dose of God's Word, and we should never get tired of it. Amen? And I know this is a trying hour, unholy hour, <laughs> because we had had such a good lunch. And, uh, but I hope you are wide awake and attentive to hear God's Word. And, uh, oh, Pastor uh, Aaron is still there, and they still have to drive to Massachusetts, so I have to preach short this afternoon. Maybe that's a, a good driving factor, but uh, sometimes I don't want to say that because I always, you know, um, don't do what I say when it comes to time. <laughs> and the beautiful flowers here again, I, yeah, I, I'm, uh, it energizes you and inspires you. Well, anyways, We'll continue our uh, book studies in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 3. But before we uh, dive into the message, let's uh, bow our heads for a word of prayer. Let's ask the Lord to bless our time together. Okay, let's pray. Father God in heaven, we uh, bless your name. We thank you, Lord, for being a faithful God. Thank you, Lord, for just uh, giving us the, the heart's desire uh, to stay here in the church and just uh, to continue to hear from thy word. And we are so thankful, Lord, for um, your merciful kindness, for your graciousness, uh, your goodness in our lives, Lord. And once again, Lord, accept our offer of thanksgiving and praise and worship before you. And once again, Lord, as a congregation, as a body of Christ, we come to you collectively. Just ask you for your cleansing, for your forgiveness. If you see any sins and trespasses, iniquities that we've done against you, against your holy nature, knowingly and unknowingly, Lord, we plead for the blood of Jesus to wash us, cover us, Lord, and 
I pray for myself, Lord, help me in my infirmities. Hide me behind the shadow of the cross that your word, your message will be uh, heard and seen today, not me, Lord. And uh, I pray that uh, something that will be said, maybe a thought, a verse of scripture will encourage our heart, will, uh, uh, will just uh, exhort us, Lord, to continue to live for you. As you said in your word, that all is scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable. It will do us good in doctrine, in correction, in reproof, in rebuke, so the man of God may be mature, uh, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And that's our prayer, Lord, today. And uh, protect us as we continue to um, gather in this place. Give us the joy of the Lord. Bless also our uh, friends and loved ones who are tuning with us virtually. May you uh, uh, keep them safe and uh, meet our spiritual need today. And once again, Lord, we thank God for our salvation. We thank the Lord for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the freedom of religion and uh, the opportunity to gather ourselves around your word. And bless the rest of this day, for we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, I just want to say something or share something that's numer uh, numerous, humorous to uh, make us smile or uh, help us to stay awake, and uh, try to do that when I preach in the afternoon. And um, we can skip, oh, umalis Brother Gilbert, maybe later. Uh, go ahead, sir. Do what you have to do. <laughs> uh, the title of our message is Swing Wide the Gate, isn't it? Swing Wide the Gates. And we've been studying about Nehemiah as a retrospect of what we've been learning, synopsis or summary, uh, Nehemiah, found out that there's uh, a bad news that had happened in his home country. Even though he was not born there, but he heard that the gates were burned, the walls have been broken down by the enemies of God, the people are in disarray, in chaos. So God gave him a vision and a burden, even though he was living comfortably, isn't it? And if he thinks him, uh, unto himself, I'm not supposed to be responsible to the sins of my people from the past, that I should pay for it. But God burdened him to have the vision to go back and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And he had such a, an important and intricate position in the, the realm of uh, the kingdom of Artaxerxes. He was the personal king, cups bearer, a very good friend, very close to him. And God gave him into that position so he would be able to do the commandment of God. Amen. The vision that had given him to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. So God provided everything that he needs because he prayed more than he act more. Amen? So we need to pray first before we act. Amen? So that's the lesson. So the walls of Jerusalem were built in a record time, 52 days. It's supposed to take multiple years, but God was with Nehemiah. He was given the rite of passage. He was given protection. He was given the resources. And now in Nehemiah chapter 3, we are given here that uh, the actual work had started. And God has given him, you know, wisdom. He is a master delegator. There was a supreme organization and splendid cooperation from the people of God. 32 individuals were mentioned in Nehemiah chapter 3. It's like a Hebrew phone book, isn't it? It's so hard sometimes to... Uh, uh, what they call this, pronounce their name when we read them, but God gave them, you know, the desire to do the work of God. 32 individuals mentioned 48 groups. Even there's a family that they volunteered their daughters to do the construction work. 
So they had one mind in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And we know that the walls of Jerusalem stood for protection, you know, for um, the glory of God, for security, and for the sovereignty of the land. So uh, we can skip to uh, slide number 21, Brother Gilbert, if you can find that. There's like uh, the most important person in your life supposed to be is stood in a gate. There you go. Uh, who's that? You know, just a Christian artist portrayal of the Savior. And there's the gate, and there's the way, and we know that Jesus is the only way to get to heaven. Amen? Amen. John 14:6, one of the greatest declaration of the deity of Christ. And uh, we talk about um, about that last uh, week. And before we go to the message, I just want to give you some stories. Hopefully, it will make you smile about gates about gates you know there were three friends unfortunately they died and went to heaven at the same time and saint peter met them at the gates and said to one of them welcome to heaven here is your reward after saying that you know saint peter immediately handcuffed the guy to an extremely unattractive woman saint peter said why is this my heavenly reward the man asked St. Peter replied, when you were five, you killed a bird with a stone. So St. Peter then turned to the next guy and did the exact same thing for the exact same reason. He was asked the same question and answered the same. Finally, he turned to the third guy and said, welcome to heaven. Here is your reward. The third man was immediately handcuffed now to a beautiful girl. You know, so the third man was immediately handcuffed to that girl pretty and beautiful, extremely happy, the man walked off. The other two men who had stuck around to see what their friend's fate was were outraged. How come he gets a beautiful girl and we're stuck with this? We can name a few things that he did that were worse than ours, according to the story. St. Peter said, when she was five, she killed a bird with a stone. <laughs> did you get it? There you go. Talking about gates, once again, there's a man who died and approached the pearly gates. St. Peter told him heaven was getting crowded, so he had to test people with a point system. Aren't you glad salvation is not point system? Or a lot of us will be lost, amen? If he got to 100 points, he could enter. The man told Peter that he, have, that he gave to the poor. He was a philanthropist. Peter marked him down for three points. The man thought again, then said that he... So Peter added one point. One point. <laughs> All right. The man desperately searching his memory finally said that he never cussed. Peter added half a point. By now the man got very frustrated and said that at this rate he could only get in by the grace of God. So Peter said, Welcome in. You know, of course. You can only go to heaven by the grace of God. Amen? And deserve favor and merited love. Because of what Christ had done at the cross of Calvary. So, yeah, he should have said that, you know, first. Um, then there's a young couple who were killed in an accident on the day before their wedding. Huh? Sad. When they arrived at the pearly gates or the gates, St. Peter again asked if there was anything he could do to make being in heaven even more pleasant. So they explained about dying the day before their wedding and asked if it was possible to be married in heaven. No problem, said St. Peter. 
leave it with me. A hundred years or so later, they met St. Peter, Peter and asked about the wedding. Everything's being arranged, he assured them. Another hundred years passed. And they met St. Peter again. They reminded him about the wedding and said, We know that in heaven time is of no consequence, but we have been waiting for over 200 years. St. Peter replied, I am sorry. All the arrangements were made in the day after you arrived, and there is only one thing preventing us from having the wedding. We're still waiting for a minister. <laughs> well, hope ministers will go to heaven. Amen. They should. Amen. And pearly gates, uh, last but not the least. Over the massive carved front doors of a church, these words were inscribed, the gates of heaven. Wow. Isn't it? The gates of heaven. Below, there was a small cardboard sign which read, please use the other entrance. <laughs> what happened to the main door, the main gate? And last but not the least, uh, I like this. An old lady was on a flight. She was sitting beside a young businessman. And after the in-flight meal, she took out her holy Bible and starts her devotion. Wow, amen. The businessman glances at her and said, Do you really believe those stuff in the Bible is true? Well, yes, as a matter of fact, I do, said the old lady. Yeah, right. Uh, the man scoffs. Like, what's that guy's name? The one who got swallowed by a whale? You mean Jonah? Yeah, Jonah, I mean. How do you actually survive for three days in a fish's bowel? I don't know, replied the old lady, but I can ask him when I see him in heaven someday. Feeling smart, the young man, businessman replied, okay, but what if he's not in heaven because he went to hell? Then young man, the lady said, you can ask him. <laughs> She's still smarter than me. Oh, that's sad. Though. All right. Okay. So um, next slide, Brother Gilbert. Uh, we've been talking about uh, the gates in Jerusalem. And we already uh, mentioned about the sheep gate in chapter 3, verse 1. And then we had the fish gate in chapter 3, verse 3, and the old gate in chapter 3, verse 6. So probably we'll do another three uh, this afternoon. Uh, we have seen the symbolism of these gates and the rich meaning behind the first three gates of Jerusalem's 12 gates. The sheep gates reminded us of Jesus, isn't it? The Lamb of God. Jesus is the Lamb of God who is a special Lamb. He is the silent Lamb. And he was a slain lamb. And when we get to heaven, Jesus will be the only one continue to be wearing the scars of his death on the cross, the nail prints in his hand, on his foot, and on his side, because it will forever remind us that the reason we got there in heaven because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And it will remind us forever in heaven that He truly loves us so much, that He loves us with an everlasting love. As the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God commended, or God demonstrated His love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. All of our scars, all of our wrinkles, all of our blemishes on our temporal, physical body, when we receive our glorified, sanctified, immortal, incorruptible body, will all be taken away. They were all vanished, but only Jesus will retain those scars because it will forever remind us in heaven the reason we got there is because of Him. Amen? Amen. So it's all about Jesus, the sheep gate, 
that he's that special silent and slain lamb. Then the fish gate speaks of soul winning, that you are never really a follower of Christ, seriously speaking, if you're not fishing for men. If you're not witnessing, if you're not doing uh, 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 an effort to pray for the salvation of lost souls, because we are all called to be fishers of men. So that's what the fish gate represents. And the old gate led to the new quarter, and in irony, remember that the old message never changes. Amen? Though our methods in presenting the message may change, but the message never changes. What are those things? That man is still a sinner. Amen? We are born with a sinful nature. The, the Bible says in Romans 3.10, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that seeketh after God. Romans 3.23 declares, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Whatever the culture says, or the intellectual says that, you know, we are not really a sinner. We were just, you know, have bad genes or it's just a, a behavior imbalances. Still, we are sinners by nature and by choice. And even though we try all our best to appease God, to gain God's favor, to pay for our own sin, but it will never be enough because God's standard is always perfection. God's standard is always ultimate holiness and righteousness. And all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. But the good news is, even though we are all born sinners and we have to pay our sins in hell forever, there is a perfect man and also at the same time the Son of God who came down on earth and died on the cross, took our place and paid for our sin debt and after three days rose again. And so we can say Jesus is still the answer to man's greatest problem of sin. Amen? He turned that curse and, you know, uh, transformed it to a blessing. Now we uh, receive the adoption of sons. We are joint heir with Christ. And we still preach about the book. This book is still inspired. Amen? It's still preserved. It's still the holy, inerrant, infallible word of God. We still preach about the blood. It never dried up at Calvary. It's in the throne room of God in His presence, reminding us that there's a fountain of blood that was still flowing that can cleanse a man from sin. And we still preach that Jesus is coming soon. Blessed book, the blessed blood of Christ and the blessed hope that he's coming soon to be, you know, uh, the ultimate judge of this earth. So there are things that we still stand for, amen? Stay for and speak for and share for. That's the truth. There are still absolutes in this world, Amen. Because we have an absolute God and we have an absolute and final authority in the Word of God. So, yes, we have the truth, but we should not be boastful about it. We have to speak the truth in love. Amen? Amen. Speak the truth in love. We live in the last days. There's a lot of radical ideas, these negative bad isms. But you know what? The Word of God will triumph all of that. Because we have the absolute truth. And the author is the finisher and author of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. So number four, quickly, we're going to go to the valley gate. Verse 13, Nehemiah 3.13. Just follow me silently as I read the word of God. The valley gate repaired Hanun and the inhabitants of Zanoah. They built it and set up the doors thereof, the locks thereof, and the bars thereof, and thou and thousand cubits on the wall unto the dung gate. So this valley gate, all right, it opened to a low place, the Valley of Hinnom. And I think uh, every believer needs this gate which speaks of humility. This gate, the Valley Gate, speaks of 
humility. And I think I have a picture there later on um, in the old Jerusalem of that. You see, it's like downhill, you know, and there's like, um, uh, it's a low part. It's called uh, the Valley Gate. And in our map, it's located, I think, almost to uh, the lower part, the northwestern uh, part of the temple. All right? So we have a verse of scripture here when it speaks of humility. First Peter chapter 5, verse 5 and 6. First Peter chapter 5, verse 5 and 6. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Amen? You know what? I'm glad I'm a Filipino. You know? Have you ever wished that sometimes you were uh, Scottish? No. Or you're from Englander? Is that a word? <laughs> Or you have like a, what do you call this, a royal descendant, a descent or something like that. Or yeah, blue eyes, blonde hair, you know, glowing pale skin, you know, all those stuff, you know. But I'm glad I'm Filipino because we have a, a, a good customer or culture that we are respectful of our elderly, isn't it? I think we are the only language in the world that we have a po and opo, that we can always attach to what we say in reverence, in respect, and honor to our elderly, isn't it? And uh, I hope it's still true today that if you despise your elderly in the Philippines, you'll be a, an outcast, you know? In a society, you'll have a bad reputation, you know? And uh, that's what we felt when we were growing up. And uh, it's a cardinal sin to, you know, cast your... <laughs> and to forsake and, you know, do bad to your elderly. It says that, Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with... What's the word? Humility. For God resisted the proud and giveth grace to the humble. And then humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. You know, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Have you heard about the person? He was recognized as a humble person, and they gave him a medal. And he wore that medal the following Sunday in the church, and they took it out it away from him because he lost his humbleness <laughs> you don't say and stand in a public and say oh, you know what i'm here and i want to tell you i'm i'm humble you know <laughs> you don't say that because you lose it all right you don't say that you're humble let other people say that you're humble isn't it and look at here look at this humility we know the the best example of humility is no other than jesus christ philippians chapter 2 isn't it let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Man, Jesus, who is the center of worship, isn't it, in heaven? Special creatures worship him night and day. There's no night and day, pala. Forever, you know, in heaven, 24-7. But he left heaven's glory and splendor. And he came to a sin-sick world 2,000 years ago, you know? And he was born in a humble manner, in a manger. Not even an inn or a hospital, isn't it? With the animals, barnyard animals, just to show us an example, to be humble. See, we need to submit ourselves with one another because God resisted, resisted the proud but gave it grace to the humble. So we can say God resists us or pushes us away when we live in pride. But when humility or His grace comes rushing into our lives if we exercise humility. God hates pride. It is a most 
deceitful sin well hidden to the person who lives in it. And we can say pride is simply an attitude of independence from God. Pride is an attitude of independence from God or self-sufficiency. So we can uh, say to you to, uh, this afternoon, here's some six symptoms of pride. We'll, we'll go to this quickly. And we can always take this quiz. Should you be diagnosed with pride based on these symptoms? First, becoming irritated when corrected. This person is always defensive and cannot accept that they could be wrong or that someone else could know something that they don't. All right? It's like uh, two preachers that stood on a road holding signs that said, The end is near. The end is near, the sign says. A driver screeched to a stop and angrily said, You religious fanatics, why don't you get a life? A few minutes later, the man came walking back in the other direction, soaking wet. He did not even look their way. After he had passed, one preacher said to the other, You think we ought to, say, to change our signs? Like bridge out ahead, you know? Bridge out ahead rather than the end is near. No? Know anyone who just can't take an advice? Know anyone who just can't take any advice? It is a symptom of pride. That person needs to go through the valley gate and get some humility. You know, of course, advice, we believe in constructive, sometimes criticism, not being critical all the time, isn't it? Because Proverbs 11:14 says, where no counsel is, then people fall, but in the multitude of counsel, there is safety. In the multitude of counsel, a counsel, there is safety. That's why we have a counsel in the church, because we need advice. We need ideas. We need, you know, uh, godly admonition. So when you become irritated when corrected, then it's a symptom of having pride in your life, all right? How about taking credit for things you don't control? For example, you have a high, high, high Q, I high Q, you know? Do you have a high IQ? If so, you were born with that and should not look down at others who are dumb or morons, you know? Look down your nose at them. Have talents or good looks? There's no cause for you to be proud of that. You had nothing to do with it, isn't it? Because you were just born with it. You just inherited it. So, yeah, I, I hate those people who are like boastful and, and prideful because of those things that they don't have any control with. It's like the, 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 the story of this woman who was asking the pastor for counseling. She said it was her besetting sin that she has noted that she has noticed that she is the most beautiful woman in the church and can't help but notice that no other ladies in the congregation can even hold a candle to her beauty. Wow. What can I do about this sin? She asked the preacher and the preacher replied, oh lady, oh dear lady, that's not a sin, just a mistake. <laughs> yeah, she thinks too much of herself. Anyways, all right. So Spurgeon said, I, I, I want to take note, be not proud of race, Face, place, or grace. It's okay to be thankful for advantages you have, but not prideful. So taking credit for things you don't control. Isn't it? That's good, isn't it? How about making excuses? 
This person always has a reason or explanation why it really is not true is, or is not their fault. That's a symptom of having pride. Always has a reason, always, or explanation why it really is not true or is not his or her fault. How about just simply not seeking counsel? To not, to not ask advice is a symptom of pride. To not ask advice is a symptom of pride. You know, this is a true story. In the 1950s, there was an airplane that flew over Alaska with six on board. They were encountering a fierce snowstorm. The navigator thought that they might be off course and contacted an airbase. The radio controller said they, indeed, they were hundreds of miles off course. So they gave the navigator the correct coordinates to fly by. But he said, out of pride, there's no way we're off by that much. And he went by his gut. He was wrong, though. They eventually ran out of fuel, and they parachuted but landed in conditions of 50 degrees below zero. And they all died. And their bodies were found three days later. What was the cause of their demise? Pride. Pride. As the Bible says in Proverbs 12.15, Proverbs 12.15, The way of a fool is right, in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. Especially godly counsel. Amen? Especially counsel from the word of God. People who had wisdom because of the years that they went through to the same experience. And they've proven what works and what doesn't work. Amen? So that's a good advice for us as young people, amen? Listen to multitudes of counsel because if you don't, you are exercising some form of pride in your life. How about victim's mentality? Bitterness over something God hasn't given you or feeling you got a raw deal is a symptom of pride. You know, bitterness in your heart is like a poison. You ingest personally and you think that the other person will be harmed because of it knowing that you're the one harming your own self, isn't it? When you have bitterness in your heart and in your life. So bitterness over something God hasn't given you or feeling you got a raw deal is a symptom of pride. If you feel something is owed to you, it's a self-centered symptom of pride. As we all know, life is not fair, isn't it? Life is not fair. And we have no real rights. Actually, Brother Aaron preached the only that I deserve is really to burn in hell. Amen? Because of my sin. Because of my disobedience to God. I don't really deserve heaven and forgiveness. That's why going to heaven is by the grace of God. It's only by the grace of God. Because of His love. Life is not fair. We have no real rights. But you know what? Here in America, the entitlement mindset. The entitlement mindset permeates America today. Let's remember that if we got what we deserve, we would be in hell tonight. Anything short of that is only by the grace of God. It's only by the grace of God. Number six, unhealthy sense of competition. Another symptom of pride. Some people have more stuff than they can afford because of pride. They want to feel like they are in a class they are not in. It's like one salesman made hundreds of sales by saying, let me show you something. Your neighbors say, you can't afford. <laughs> Let me show you something. Your neighbors say, you can't afford. 
He made hundreds of sales. Anyway, because of unhealthy sense of competition. Proverbs 16.5 declares, Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand joined in hand, he shall not be punished. You see, folks, listen to this. If there was no pride, there would be no devil. Isn't it? Lucifer exercised pride in wanting to be like God. His five awful I am's. I will. I will descend. I will, you know, do this and I will do that. I will be, eventually he said, I will be like the most high. Lucifer exercised pride in wanting to be like God. It was pride that plunged the human race into sin. Pride was a bait on the hook for Eve. She wouldn't have done that just for a bite of juicy fruit. Not the gum, all right? But it was pride because Satan enticed her, tempted her. If you partake of this fruit, you will be like God. Isn't it that's pride, the pride of life? Satan said to her, take it, you'll be like God. This means though that all sin in the world was caused by pride. Every rape, murder, theft, etc., pride caused it all. We need truly a valley gate in our lives. Amen? Because pride is not dead until you are dead. We will struggle with this all of our lives. We will fight this problem all of our lives until we get to heaven. Because pride is not dead until you are. It's like the story of a true story of a bullfighter in Spain in 1958. His name was Jose. You know? He was only 21 years old, but he's the most accomplished, youngest bullfighter in his time in that country. But he died on a day when he struck the bull with his sword, and thinking it was dead, he turned his back on the bull to receive his applause. But in an instant, the bull rose and gored him through the back, puncturing his heart. The lesson, never turn your back on pride. Because as soon as you think you got it whipped, it will rise up and stab you in the back. Always be in a sense of humility and humbleness before God. So according to the six, six uh, symptoms, can you be diagnosed with pride? Is there anyone who cannot? If there is, then let's humble ourselves before God. Ask God for His forgiveness. Exercise humility by his grace. Amen? Number five, the dung gate. All right? Quick here, verse 14. What this represents, Remaiah 3, 14. But the dung gate repaired Malchiah, the son of Rechab, the ruler part of, oh, how can I pronounce this? Bet-ha-karim. He built it and set up the doors thereof, the locks thereof, and the bars thereof. This was the garbage. This is where the garbage was carried out. You know? It led to the dump you know, and I think I have a picture there of the old dung gate. It may not have a nice name, but it provided a very valuable service. This reminds us of repentance. If the valley gate reminds of humility, the dung gate reminds us the symbolism of repentance. It is important to take out the trash in our lives. Amen? Who loves to take out the trash here? It is your job to take out the trash. I'm still uh, waiting for, there you go, brother. Yeah, you're the eldest, you know. You're the eldest boy. And I'm the only guy in uh, the house, so I always take out the trash. But I'm waiting for Ezra to grow up a little bit longer, you know. Once he started learning how to walk, hey, Ezra, here's the trash, you know. 
That's why you need a son, at least, you know. Um, take out the trust in our lives. 2 Corinthians 7 1. 2 Corinthians 7 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Let us cleanse ourselves. What are the garbages in our lives? Galatians 5, another passage of scripture, gives us a list of the works of the flesh which we are to dispose of. Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Works of the flesh, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Wow, that's like 17. Huh? Sins of the flesh. You know what? Are you amazed? Probably just me. I'm always amazed at how much literal garbage we make at our houses. Isn't it? Every week we carry like probably three sacks of groceries and carry out ten sacks of garbage. Huh? And if not careful though, the devil will cause our lives to stock up with a bunch of trash. It's hoarding of the worst kind. And as I said, Galatians 5 gives us a list of 17 works of the flesh, a catalog of corruption, so to speak. This is the garbage God wants out, and the only exit is the dung gate. Repentance. Uh, as we look at it, Galatians 5, quickly, no, the first four are sexual sins. Adultery is sex outside of marriage. It's still sin, amen? Fornication or Sin is uh, of the premarital sex outside the boundaries, uh, the blessings of marriage. And cleanness is dirty talk, pornography, bad movie channels, etc. Lasciviousness means no sense of shame, no sense of disgrace. Oh, wow. We can see that in our day and age right now. Sins before which are behind in the closet is now being planted out publicly. Uh, it's a pride now to be that kind of person, isn't it? It's now like uh, we're living, really living in perilous days, isn't it? Like the, uh, the reprobate mind is, is, uh, can be seen in a lot of places, isn't it? Much of TV today falls in what we call the Jerry Springer category. And we can't look away. Everyone likes to watch a train wreck. They get entertained with a train wreck of a situation but it doesn't truly deserve our attention. But people find it amusing and entertaining to see people cursing at each other, you know, fighting and quarreling each other. What do we say to these sexual sins today? Mostly say, well, everyone's doing it. Huh? But the Bible says, follow not a multitude to do evil. Because sin is still sin in the eyes of a holy and a righteous God. And there's consequences, you know, behind it, if it is not repented of and ask the Lord for forgiveness. But God is merciful. He will forgive. Amen? He will restore when we fall into sin. Even Christians sometimes justify pumping bad movie channels into their homes, claiming they can control it. But the Bible says not to make any provision for the flesh. So if there's any gray area in the Bible, oh, the Bible did not say thou shall not smoke, you know? But look at this general and higher principle. Don't make any provision for the flesh. 
Why? Because your bodies are now God's temple. The Holy Spirit dwells with them. You have no business of defiling it. You know, things that can harm you. How about this? Idolatry in that list of sins is, you know, anything you put before God. It's not just nowadays in this 21st age, it's not a literal statue or, or image, isn't it? That you bow down, you light an incense. No, idolatry is anything you put before God. Even your child can be your idol. If you put the child before God, if you make the child as an excuse not to be in church, not to serve God, it becomes an idol. You know, your, your favorite sport, or your car, your house, your job, even your wife can be your idol. Isn't it? If you put it before God. Oh, yeah, idol kita. You know, it could happen. How about this? Witchcraft is the Greek word for masia. It's the idea of drugs. Oh, can be seen here in America, the opioid addiction. People trying to look for escape. People trying to take something so they will not think, so they will not be able to sense what reality is all about. They're trying to look for something that's superficial and temporal way of, you know, feeling better. Is it? The, the, of course, with our po politician uh, problem right now with the, with the southern border that, that's not, you know, um, guarded, and then the, the, all these bad drugs coming in from this drug cartel like fentanyl, isn't it? And, and, and this is being abused by namely any levels in our society, any age group, kids or adults or even older people. Because we're living in a day and age, even in the book of Revelation, they will be given to witchcraft or pharmacia, the addiction of drugs. You know, some, some of them have good things to do for our society, you know? The medicinal stuff like that, but most most are just abusing it, and it's such a, a epidemic nowadays. You know, that's part of living in the last days. This expression of pharmacia and verse twenty continues with all kinds of internal sins and unhealthy emotions, feelings, and false belief. Notice that even drunkenness is mentioned as a sin, not a disease. Revelings is the party sin. 17 works of the flesh. God says, take out the garbage. Take it out. Confess it to God. Repent of it. Ask for his forgiveness. First John 1 John 1.9 is still there. Amen? But not, once again, it's not a license to sin. Yeah, God will forgive me anyway, so I'll do it anyways. No. You will receive consequences. That's chastisement. If you'll ignore the conviction of the Holy Spirit, he will chastise you. Or if you will ignore the chastisement of God, you will be called out prematurely in heaven. So you won't ruin or continue to bring disgrace in the name of Jesus. Lastly, amen? Oh, parang, parang nasayahan ako. Parang maiksi lang ang preach ngayon. Ha? Praise the Lord. Number, dapat lagi tayo may bisita, no? Alright. Number six, the <laughs> gate, the fountain gate. The fountain gate. It was located near the Gihon Spring. Verse 15. But the gate of the fountain repaid Shalun, the son of Kolzeh, the ruler of part of Mizpah. He built it and covered it and set up the doors thereof, the locks thereof, and the bars thereof. And the wall of the pool of Siloah. Remember the pool of Siloam? Near that. By the king's garden and unto the stairs that go down from the city of David. Let me look at my map uh, of the fountain gate. All right. It's near. Oh, it's on the bottom, isn't it? 
the fountain at verse 3 and 15. So it's in the southern eastern part of the uh, old Jerusalem, Nehemiah's Jerusalem, near close to the Dun Gate. All right? Fountain Gate, located near the Gion Spring. This fed the water system of the entire city. As we know from the Bible, water for drinking is symbolic of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? But water for cleansing is symbolic of the Word of God. So water for drinking is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. So thank God, the Holy Spirit of God indwells us. And also, it's no matter, the question is, if you have the Holy Spirit uh, of God holy with you, because he ha we have Him. The question is if He has us. Amen? The question is the feeling, the controlling of the Holy Spirit. And thank to God for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. As we know, He's the silent part of the Trinity because He always points people to Christ, you know? But truly, He's part of the Trinity. He's a person. He's not just a force. And you know what? During the Old Testament, we know that the Holy Spirit comes and goes, isn't it? Because it's dependent on man's work. If they have a work to be done, God empowers them through the Holy Spirit. But if they disobey God, rebel against God, had sin in their life, the Holy Spirit departed from them. Like King Saul, isn't it? Aren't you glad in this New Testament grace, in this church age, the Holy Spirit comes with us and stay forever. Amen? We become one of the marks of eternal security for a believer. As the Bible says in Ephesians, that we have the earnest of the Spirit. It means that God has given us a down payment that we are truly His. He has given us His Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will never depart from us. That's why... You know, for us as Christians, we keep on teaching like the tribulation we have to start if the Christians are already taken out of this world, isn't it? Because the Holy Spirit as the agent, as the restrainer of evil. You think it's bad right now? It's going to be worse when the Christians are taken out of this world because we are the salt and light of the world. We preserve this world through our witness, through the Holy Spirit that ministers to us. Of course, the Holy Spirit is everywhere, but His ministry will be done once the Christians, the church, the true genuine believers are raptured. That's why the world will stink, will be corrupted to the fullest, and God's wrath has to be poured out into this world because the ministry of the Holy Spirit will be over for the believers. That's why, aren't you glad you have the Holy Spirit in you? Never to depart. He is the down payment that God will fulfill His word, His promise of saving you to the uttermost. Amen? Isn't it we are saved? That three tenses, we are saved from the penalty of sin. We are justified, declared righteous before God. Now we are being saved through the pollution or the power of sin. Isn't it? Right now, that's our sanctification. But one day we'll be saved from the presence of sin which is our ultimate glorification. When we get raptured, we are given our uh, incorruptible, immortal, glorified body. Aren't you glad you're saved this afternoon? Amen? Amen? It goes through all the tenses of time. It's all made possible because of what Christ had done. Look at this verse of Scripture, John 7, 37 and 39, and we'll end. John 7, 37 and 39. Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture had said. Oh, I'm glad Jesus Christ always uses the scripture, isn't it? He said, as the scripture had said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit. The third 
person of the Trinity, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given. Or another term, the parakleo, the comforter, the one who goes beside us, who's with us, you know? Because that Jesus was not yet glorified. He did not die dead and rose from the grave and ascended into heaven. The Holy Spirit in the Old Testament is given dependent on works, but the Holy Spirit is given in the New Testament dependent on the finished work of Christ and His promise that He will give the Holy Spirit. I will not leave you comfortless. So notice the progression with these three gates. The valley gate stood for humility. The down gate stood for repentance. Now the founding gate, which is spiritfulness. So we can say, we must humble ourselves, repent, then we can be filled with the Spirit. Because you can't fill something that's already full of something else. It's like you can't force a baby to eat. Isn't it? Is that right, Sister Rochelle? Hmm? If they are full, you can't get the spoon past those iron lips. You can sneak it in. They'll turn the last second and you get the food in their ear. Man, that's just an annoying time, isn't it? And the Holy Spirit of God won't force himself on baby Christians or carnal Christians. Only those who are hungry for it will ever experience it. But the Bible says, open your mouth and God will fill it. Amen? I want you to be like that little bird in the nest with mouth open wide. For the sustenance, nutrition that his or her mother bird will give. Same thing with God. He wants to fill us, isn't it? He wants to provide our needs. He wants to use us. We only need to humble ourselves and ask for his feeling. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for these simple lessons you taught us. Thank you, Lord, for this uh, symbolism and spiritual uh, truth that we can see with this passage of scripture. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus is truly the Lamb of God. And because of his sacrifice on the cross, we are here today. Thank you, Lord, for being a God who blesses us despite of our unfaithfulness, Lord. And thank you, Lord, for your loving grace, Lord, and mercy. Once again, Lord, as we uh, live our lives for the next week, Lord, we plead humbly before you that may you sustain us with your grace. Protect us, Lord, and help us, our simple lives, to be a witness to somebody. As we heard that uh, wonderful uh, special music behind that video presentation of Brother Aaron, each one can reach one. We can be a blessing to someone this week, uh, maybe spiritually or physically. Help us just to be sensitive in what we can help them with. And all of us can, can do this. We can pray for one another. We can be an intercessor for somebody who has a need before God. And thank you, Lord, for uh, uh, members here who are present right now who has that discerning spirit, who has that sensitive heart. Lord, bless them. I know, Lord, they don't want to be publicly praised or be expected a pat in their back, but you know their works, Lord. And if we do it out of love, out of the right motive, out of our desire to bless God, you know that their works will follow them. Even our missionaries, their works will follow them if they're after they pass away from this life. Because that soul that they want to the Lord can duplicate himself or herself and cause an impact to that community. 
we'll never know. What we need to do, Lord, is just to keep on doing the will that you place in our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for these gates that taught us something simple. Help us, Lord, to remember them. And as we continue the series of this study, Lord, continue to enlighten us. And thank you so much even for the prayer of our deacon that you already blessed us, Lord, since the beginning of this day with everything that we've heard and learned from our Sunday school to the preaching this morning. This is just an icing on the cake, Lord, in the afternoon. And thank you, Lord, for the presence of each one here. Bless the rest of this day. And whatever prayers or petition or need that we have this afternoon, we give it before you. We ask it by faith to, for you to answer it and, and prove yourself once again, Lord, so your name will be consistently be glorified in our midst. Um, be with our people, Lord, who are not uh, feeling well. We remember Sister Embia. Lord, uh, we will never uh, know what uh, she's going through right now, but the grace of God will always be there for her. And may that comfort her, Lord, and strengthen her. And uh, we still have loved ones and friends that we are still praying to be saved. Lord, help us, Lord, to continue to humble ourselves before you. Ask for your strength, for your wisdom, so we can reach out to them. We have uh, family members that we're still praying that they will get right with you. Or friends that will get right with you. That they will connect with you once again and be involved. Be involved. As we are living in the last days, we don't have much time. May they see that, that sense of urgency, Lord. And help us, Lord, to be that channel, that vehicle, that conduit, that will just, Lord, encourage them and inspire them. We know, Lord, we're never perfect. We will fall short. We'll stumble and fall and fumble. But thank you, Lord, that you are always a God who is compassionate, that will always pick us up, restore us, and reignite us to serve you. Lord, forgive us for our shortcomings. We bless your name. Thank you for everything you've done for us today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And amen. Thank you, folks, for listening to the word. And let me call our usher. Oh, usher. Let me call our song leader to um, come and uh, lead us in our closing song and uh, also prayer uh, for our dismissal. Thank you. Thank you.